If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. Well, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. Your host, Phil. A lot to talk to or talk about today, including Joe Biden and bomb, 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 Moran, bomb, 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 Moran. Well, actually, he didn't bomb Iran, but the reason was Iran. So anyway, we'll talk a little bit about that because that's national news. We don't like to get too far into that. We have some other stuff, including an interesting poll that the Faulkner campaign completed. We'll dive into that. Some stuff about uh, Newsom sweating it out a little bit more. Uh, Another school board member getting caught on camera saying more horrible things. It seems like they can't really realize that most of these things are public and that they're recorded for the public. Uh, and then finally, we're going to end on a lighter note about a interesting idea to help prevent wildfires here in California. But first, in honor of CPAC this weekend, let's uh, start with our out of the gate monologue. California always seems to be the butt of jokes for conservatives around the country. Our state is viewed as the wacky epicenter of progressivism and wannabe socialism. The majority of the left's crazy ideas seem to have oozed out of the primordial ooze of deep blue California. Therefore, it's easy just to write off California as a lost cause. It's too liberal. It's too far gone. It's too wacky for Republicans to make a play in California. So why bother spending money on a state that likely won't produce results? Well, the 2020 election showed us one thing. The left is not taking any state for granted. With the flipping of usually red states like Arizona and especially Georgia, the map changed a little more for Republicans going forward. Now, ask Democrats five to eight years ago whether they would ever flip Georgia blue, and their answer would probably not be too certain. However, after getting enough people on the ground and chipping away, they finally reached their goal, and now Georgia is a swing state. Even the Republic of Texas sees as huge Republican margins closing with each subsequent election. Maybe at this moment, people don't think Texas will flip, but that's not stopping the left from making incremental gains every single election cycle. Now, one of my biggest gripes about the Republican Party is that they fail to be bold when it comes to flipping states or making them competitive battlegrounds. It wasn't until President Trump came along in 2016 and broke down the blue wall of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania did we see a Republican actually go on offense. Also, Republicans seem to rest on their laurels too much in thinking that a state is safe or not. For example, when I was in Arizona volunteering for the Trump campaign as part of the Lawyers for Trump group, the director there had an air of optimism that Arizona was already in the bag for President Trump. Now, of course, that turned out not to be the case. And in a surprise result, President Biden flipped the state and now Arizona has not one, but two Democratic senators. President Trump's boldness to claim a state was competitive or not may have been mostly puffery and ego talking like, you know, saying New York would actually flip red, but it did raise a good point. Why aren't Republicans working to flip more blue states to purple? Why does it seem like we're always on defense, hoping to hold off the Democrats for one more cycle? Here in California, we're all aware of the looming recall of Governor Newsom. It would be a win even to get the recall on the ballot. It would be an even bigger win to actually get Californians to vote yes on recalling him. Because the recall symbolizes more than just frustration with Newsom and his handling of the state, but a sign that politics is not completely monolithic in the Golden State. 
There's plenty of ammo for Republicans to go after, too. Recently, Newsom and his Democratic supermajority just signed a law to retroactively pay an outstanding debt with a public outreach company that Xavier Bracera signed up with. Now, the debt was $34 million, and it was even blocked previously. But Newsom and his cronies rammed through legislation to make it go away. Another investigation has shown Newsom raked in millions of dollars from healthcare companies in the past year during the pandemic. The list of corruption and malfeasance goes on and on. To say the Democrats hold California because they're doing such a good job would be pretty laughable. With all this corruption going on, California Republicans, with the backing of the National Party, should be going full court press on California. Why? Because Democrats don't usually think they have to worry about defending California. So what if we catch them flat-footed? What if instead of Republicans resting on their laurels, we actually catch Democrats resting on their laurels and start to chip away? Now take, for example, Tamika Hamilton, a Republican candidate for the 3rd Congressional District of California. She ran in a race with little backing and was able to bring the race within single digits. This was a district that was solidly Democrat, but now it's single digits. Through voter registration and outreach, Republicans were able to put pressure on what was a comfortable seat. Or how about Mike Garcia, a candidate who flipped a congressional seat for the first time in 22 years? These are signs of hope and not despair. Republicans at the state and national should look at this and say, hey, maybe we can make inroads in California. Every seat at the state and federal level should be pushed for a win. Now, maybe Tamika didn't win this go around, but her race put her district on the map as a district the Republicans are going to focus on flipping in 2022. Those incremental changes make a difference in the long run if you don't take your foot off the gas. Of course, this comes back to my tired old saying that I always like to harp on. Turning around California will be like turning around an aircraft carrier. To think that some transcendent political figure will ride in and save California is naive and foolish. However, to make inroads and continue to win battle after battle, things start to turn around. Are Republicans working on bringing independents and disenfranchised Democrats to their party? Well, they should be. This is as good a time as any. Can Republicans bump their registration percentage from 25 to 30? How about shooting for 45? All of a sudden, a 55 to 45 Democrat-Republican breakdown in California makes it a much more competitive state, and it's not always a slam dunk. Can Republicans see the success of candidates like Tamika Hamilton, Mike Garcia, and Michelle Steele and use that as a blueprint to recruit and run great candidates? Will those candidates then start to flip seats in Congress and Sacramento? All of a sudden, California isn't a wasteland of progressive dominance and starts to become more competitive. The trick is to keep pushing and not let up year after year. No one thought Georgia was going to turn blue until it did. No one except for the Democrats who put their people on the ground and worked hard to make small changes year after year. If Republicans go on offense hard in California, who knows? Maybe we say in eight years, who knew California would ever flip red? So in late news last night, or was it yesterday or last afternoon, um, it was announced that there was a bombing on Syria. This political blowback is a not good is not a good look for joe biden um and i have been if there's one thing i've been consistent on in, in my political lifespan in in terms of what i've been when ever since i've been political or started to listen to politics i've always been anti-war and i think that it goes back to uh 9-11 when 9-11 happened i was rah rah let's go get them 
because being from New Jersey and New York was my city at the time, I was very, this was like Pearl Harbor. So obviously it was a rallying cry. It was patriotic. We have to go get the people who did this to us. It was an attack on our soil. Um, so I was very much rah, rah, George Bush. Let's go. Let's go get the guys. And then that's when in 2003, he decided to go into Iraq and we've basically been in Iraq ever since. So ever since then, I've really been anti-war. I was a strong anti-war Democrat back in the day. Um, I still am anti-war. One of the things that attracted me to Barack Obama back in the day was he was very, very anti-war and even Trump to some degree was, is anti-war and the fact that he didn't like the fact that we were in endless wars, endless foreign conflicts in the Middle East, that we were wasting blood and treasure over in faraway lands um, with really no mission or any sort of end goal post set in mind. We were just going to be there forever. And it seemed like it was, it was just going to keep going forever and ever. Now, Trump did get a job trying to get a lot of troops home and trying to scale everything down. But this is really a blow um, for that whole narrative that Biden and the Democrats are really anti-war. At this point, I don't think the Democrats really are anti-war. I think with Obama being in power for eight years and him not really doing anything or fulfilling his promise that he was going to bring a lot of troops home. Now you have Joe Biden about one month into his presidency and already dropping bombs on Syria. So it's at this point, Democrats can't really claim that they're anti-war. Now, imagine the Republicans actually come out and say, no, we're actually anti-war and we don't want to fight these wars. We don't think these wars are necessarily beneficial to Americans here at home when we're spending trillions of dollars over in the Middle East or in Iraq. Uh, So these are things that uh, I, I think this is a bad look for Joe Biden. I think a lot of people who voted for Joe Biden are obviously upset about this because Democrats like to fashion themselves anti-war. But at the end of the day, you have Joe Biden, who is now dropping bombs on Syria. And a lot of the campaign promises that he said he was going to do have not come to fruition. For example, the $2,000 checks, which there's a lot of debate over whether it was $1,400 plus the $600 that Trump already sent out, or is it $2,000? Either way, it still hasn't happened. Those were promises that he said, if you elected these two senators, we'd get those $2,000 checks right out the window or right out the door. And they haven't happened. And then he backtracked on his student loan repayment. He thought he was, he said he was going to do $50,000. Now it's more likely $10,000. And now it's more likely it'll probably never happen uh, because he's backed off it so much that people are pissed and they just don't really care anymore. So there's a lot of things that if you're a Biden fan or you're a Biden voter, you should look at this and this should be a wake up call. You voted for the establishment. You voted for a guy who has been in Washington for 50 years. Should you be surprised that a guy like this went back on all his progressive promises and is going to do the same things the establishment has been doing for decades, which is funding and keeping wars going for defense contractors and for these for the military industrial complex? Do you think that's any shock that... Someone was going to come in and do that. Absolutely not. They were probably licking their lips that Joe Biden was in office. So now they could go back to making money on foreign wars that were never, ever going to end. And a lot of people say that Trump was not popular with a lot of these defense contractors. And it, it was one thing if you could. I remember seeing someone say, 
whenever you see a general come out and say that Trump was unhinged or he was not good or he was a horrible leader, just Google their name. And nine times out of 10, that general was usually someone who was on the board of some big defense contractor company or some big arms producing or weapons producing company. So it was always people who had a financial interest in bringing down Trump because Trump wanted to end wars. He wanted to bring people home. He wanted to stay out of conflict. And for as much as people banged the drum and said that Trump was going to bring us into World War III, he actually didn't bring us into World War III. Think about it. He was the first president to really make inroads with North Korea. I mean, he stepped into North Korea by himself and shook hands with Kim Jong-un. Is it Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il? Kim Jong-il is his father, Kim Jong-un. And he actually started a, a warm relationship with them. He actually got South Korea and North Korea to actually stand there and shake hands. Then him and Jared Kushner were able to create the Middle East plan that is bringing peace to the Middle East with Israel. The idea that instead of trying to get Israel and Palestine to agree to a peace deal, just get all the other countries to agree with a peace deal with Israel so that there's more geographic pressure. And these are all the things that Trump did. And he was not. Yeah, everyone says, well, he shot a whole bunch of Tomahawk missiles into Syria. That was one thing. He didn't start an armed conflict. At this point, it looks like because this is some sort of revenge or it's against Iran, that they'll probably continue. They'll probably continue putting people in Syria. They'll, they'll probably continue to bombing targets over in Syria. And that this is going to go on. That President Biden has no interest in taking troops out of uh, the Middle East. He is exactly like his predecessor, uh, President Obama, in the sense that he didn't really stop the, the any of the wars. Now he's just one of the establishment guys. He might as well be George W. Bush. And now you have the military industrial complex probably eating caviar and drinking champagne and you know toasting to President Biden because war is back on the menu. So at the end of the day, disappointing. I'm not shocked by it at all because we all knew people who did not like Joe Biden knew this was going to happen. And it's been more interesting seeing the left try and do mental gymnastics to try and defend this. It's been actually kind of refreshing to see a lot of progressives kind of stand up and say, we didn't vote for this. We did not want more war. We don't want you dropping bombs on people. You promised us $2,000 in stimulus. We're not getting that. And now you're dropping bombs on people. You people like Cenk Uger, and I retweeted or I reposted his tweet that Joe Biden has basically gone back on all his promises and now he's bombing people. And this could be the straw that breaks the, the Democrats back. They keep moving farther and far or pretending to move farther and farther left to appease their far left wing. But then they put people like Joe Biden in power. And Joe Biden is not a inspiring candidate. He's not someone that I think the progressive wing is going to continue to back. I mean, between this and the kids in cages, it's not been a good couple of weeks for the Joe Biden administration. To be fair, I don't think he actually knows what's going on most of the time anyway. So it's not good. I, 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 I hope that this is just maybe a one-off incident, but I, I'm not hopeful that this would not turn into a longer conflict. So enough of the national news. I just want to get that off my chest because it's something that I always find that I've always been anti-war, whether I was left-leaning, right-leaning, in the middle. I've always been anti-war. And needless and anti-needless war. 
Um, and I, th- I think that's the one thing at this point we've been in, in the Middle East for so long to say that it's still because of 9-11 how many years later. I don't know how long you can you can go on that. But anyway, let's move on to California news. So this is a clip from a radio station. Um, what's it called? The John and Kent show. I'm going to play a little bit of it for you. They're pretty funny guys. So I'm going to cue this up for you. Uh, we're going to listen to it. And then we're also going to talk about these numbers that came out of a poll done by the Kevin Faulkner campaign and talk about what that means. So here's the clip. I'm very confident with J&J. The end of March, April, we're going to start seeing things really ramp up. May, June, July, game changer. All of a sudden, we're at a completely different level. So I ask people, mindful again, of being optimistic, but not overly optimistic, Mm -hmm. that over the course of the next number of weeks, we're still going to be in a constrained supply environment. But over the course of the next few months, you're going to see throughput and opportunity to expand (laughs) these tiers and expand availability and access and to allow us to drive this equity, not just message but to drive the administration of these vaccines with an equitable overlay that will truly do justice to the values of the state. An equitable overlay. Wow. (laughs) Nobody speaks like this. And most people just stare when they hear it. Throughput. He actually... He likes throughput. Equitable overlay. (laughs) Equitable overlay. Throughput. (laughs) Throughput. Boy, there's By a guy, the way, there's a guy who connects with the common man. <laughs> Thursday, the FDA is finally going to look at the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That's what Newsom was referring to. Well, they to should there, have been looking at it for the last two, three weeks. I I guess. This should Newsom be the then, vote. He then made his way to the Central Valley. Uh, wow, that's a good one. Have you ever been to Arvin? Yeah, he wants to go to Arvin. Arvin, California, the Arvin Veterans Hall. This was to make a pitch for the farm workers. <laughs> Uh, let's listen to this. We do care, and I know people often don't feel that way. And I, I, I hate that when I read that, I hear that. Honestly, it breaks my heart. I'm dead serious. I'm just like a guy. I give a damn. I do. You know, I, mean, I don't want a politician. Everyone, yeah, we we have our thing. We objectify, and you know, they're not human. They're just you know, we love hate. You know, but at the end of the day, what? you know, if people don't think we care, I mean, that like literally, you don't sleep well at night because yeah. like, you do care. I've made this point from day one. I know I, I'm. Not some guy from San Francisco that doesn't give a damn about the valley. Said I'm not going to let that happen, and I know we're not perfect, and I know we're not doing everything, but I'm trying to bridge that, and I really have. And I, you know, it's not my first time out here. Just around vaccines, we've been on a lot of issues. I was just talking to the three of them about work we're trying to do on water. I'm mindful of that on homelessness, and I don't care if we're Republican, Democrat. I want to be helpful. Uh-huh. We don't have to agree on everything, but damn it, I care about. Your, pit, your kids, your family, your community. Yeah, sure you we do. We all do. I don't care what you vote for. Yeah. I don't, you know, if you work on a rig. Or, I mean, I care. We care. Yeah, you care. And, and so, we, you know, we have to be mindful of each other in that. And so, anyway, forgive me for being long-winded. I just want you to know um, <laughs> that, you know, I am sensitive to those things because, you know, we want to we, we wanna deliver. He put 20,000 businesses permanently out of business. What's with this I care? I care about your kids? Well, that was the first time that I can recall he tried to really talk off the top of his head without the words like throughput, and that was a mess, wasn't that, it? That was a mess. Can we, can you we? Know, I know, you know, I, I live in San Francisco. You know, I, I care. Yeah, but I, I care. care about. 
Can you go back to the beginning when he, when he starts stumbling around there? We do care, and I know people often don't feel that way. And I, I, I hate that. When I read that, I hear that, honestly, it breaks my heart. I'm dead serious. I'm just like a guy. I give a damn. I do. You know what I mean? I don't want a politician. Everyone, yeah, we, we have our thing. We objectify, and, you know, they're not human. They're just, you know, we love hate. Objectify. You know? But at the end of the day, you know, if people don't think we care, I mean, <laughs> that, like, literally, you don't sleep well at night because yeah. like, you do care. I've made this point from day one. I know I, I'm not some guy from San Francisco. That doesn't all right, all right. Get- stop. <laughs> wow. So that was uh, audio courtesy of, I can't get rid I can't remember these guys' names. I've heard them before. They're pretty funny. Uh, John and Keith, is that their names? Can't. Anyway, uh, I, I think they mailed it on the head. It, it, it's funny to hear Gavin Newsom so... I think because he works so hard to be polished and he always sounds so put together. And maybe that's because he's sort of like an Obama in that sense that he's always in front of a teleprompter and he always sounds good. Um, but that was a rare occurrence where he just did not sound. He sounds frazzled. I think he sounds tired. I think he said, I mean, he's stressed. Clearly he's stressed. I am being. A lot of people don't think so, but I mean, you got to be stressed a little bit to what's going on out there in California. It's got to keep you up a little bit because you can't, you got to manage this whole COVID thing. Um, but yeah, he did not sound good. I mean, you expect like someone like Trump who, you know, Trump was always a rambler, but that was sort of like his charm. He's like a, he's an expert at rambling and people kind of always love that about Trump. He was always, you know, excuse me, excuse me. It's, it was really, this is really fantastic, really, really great. Really, excuse me, excuse me. And he would always just kind of ramble on. And that was, I guess, part of his charm. But this just sounds like, this doesn't sound like Gavin Newsom. It sounds like he's exasperated and he's tired. Um, and he's trying to really plead with people. Look, I do care. I swear, I really, I really do care. I swear, I promise I care. Um, now that he knows that the recall is gaining more steam, regardless of the recall, he still has to, He's still up for re-election in two years. And a lot of people are, well, not even two years. At this point, it's 2022, so it'll be less than two years. So he's still got a long way to go. Even if he avoids recall, he's still got to face somebody who's going to be campaigning against him for a long, long time. And he's not very popular right now. And I think he's he's done pretty much everything he could do wrong, especially with keeping a lot of things closed. Every other state out there right now... Um, is allowing baseball, is allowing sports. Every other uh, state out there is allowing indoor gyms and indoor dining. Even New York City is allowing indoor dining. So the fact that California is the last one to allow it is, it's just maddening and and you scratch your head because you don't really understand where he's coming from. And I read an article in the LA Magazine that said his circle of advisors is getting smaller and smaller and people close to him are saying that he's basically on an island all by himself. He's not really listening to a lot of people. He's a small group of people he's listening to. And whoever is advising him is not doing a good job because it seems like every there's things he could do to release some of this political pressure. There's some things he could do to make him look a little bit better. And the sad thing is, is if you just gave people a little more freedom back People would kind of get off your back a little bit, but he doesn't want to seem to do that. And, and he's kind of all over the place. The vaccine rule, that was horrible, but that was a, that was bad on his part. And, um, 
he just sounded very, very exasperated, very tired and stumbling. And he, he, you know, he just did not sound good. So I, I, maybe I actually believe him. Maybe he does have sleepless nights. And I'm sure a lot of people think he doesn't have sleepless nights and he sleeps on silk sheets in his $4 million mansion. He probably does. But I mean, at the end of the day, his whole political future could be going down the drain right now because there was, he rose to such prominence so quickly as such a young guy. He probably had, he's one of those guys. I think he always has his eye on the prize in the next step. And I think he was always that way. I think even coming up through the San Francisco political world, I think he always had his eye on the prize. Even when he was mayor of San Francisco, I remember there were always rumors of him running for governor and being the next governor. He was sort of like the, always the anointed prince or, or son that he was just going to be governor. Um, and of course, he had to wait a little bit because of Jerry Brown. But still, we all knew he was going to eventually become governor someday. So I think he is now seeing his political future really circling the drain here. And he's trying to figure out how to fix it. And it's not working. And if if California turns on him and kicks him out, that's the end of his career. I don't think you could ever run for you could probably never run for president after that. It'd be a it'd be ballsy of him to try and run for president after that and say, you know, even though I got recalled, uh, I still want to be president of the United States. But the more interesting thing about this article is that it says an internal poll from WPA intelligence for former San Diego mayor, Kevin Faulkner um, sampled about 645 likely voters and found that 47% of respondents would vote to recall Governor Gavin Newsom, while 43% would not. Of those Republican voters, 80% would recall Newsom. I can't imagine. Who are the other 20% of Republican voters who are not voting to recall Newsom? Of Democratic voters, 26% would vote to recall the governor, compared to 64 who were opposed and 10% who were undecided. For those with no political party preference, 53% would vote to recall Newsom, 35% were opposed, and 13% were undecided. Now, I you know, it's a small, very, very, very small sample size. 645 people is not a big enough sample size, uh, I think. But if there's any grain of truth to these numbers, then I would be having sleepless nights, as Gavin Newsom probably is. He should be worried that out of all of those people, 47 have already decided they're going to vote to recall and that 43% would not Republicans. He should be, shouldn't be worried about. Uh, but the fact that 26% of Democrats would vote to recall him shows that his base is fracturing and that 10% really are undecided. So even if it gets to recall, there's 10% of democratic voters out there who really could be swayed to vote to recall Gavin Newsom. Um, and then, of course, with independents, 53 would vote to recall. So that's a big deal that they're over the majority. So you have independents and Republicans in the majority would vote to recall. 34, uh, 35% of independents were opposed and 13% were undecided. There's still a lot of undecideds out there. But if these numbers hold true, that would be reason for Gavin Newsom to really be losing sleep. Because that means that it's not a slam dunk that he would make it past the first question. And even though Ben Shapiro seems to think that it wouldn't get past the first question, I don't think Ben Shapiro's paying attention enough. He pays attention to a lot of national news, but I don't think he's paying attention to California. When you have people like Anna Kasparian from the Young Turks, who's going out there lambasting Gavin Newsom, 
and saying what a horrible job he's doing and that she signed the recall and she got her mother to sign the recall. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign because it means you're pissing off the progressive wing of your party. Um, and he's not winning any favors. And he's really has his base that he can really rely on at this point, whoever that is at this point. Republicans obviously don't like Gavin Newsom. He's become the the one of the antichrists of the COVID era with him and Newt's or him and Cuomo and Whitmer and Wolf and all those people. Um, so he's along with that sort of cadre of people. But the fact that Democrats, 26% are breaking to vote to recall him, that's not a good look. That means his own base is not solidly behind him. And as opposed to 64%. So there's more Republicans who would vote to recall him than Democrats right now who would oppose the recall, which is not a very good sign. Now, of course, the numbers don't bear out because there is such a big registration, but it, it should give him pause. It should give him pause that he's losing his base. He's lo- he's losing independence and he's losing his own Democratic Party. So um, maybe that's why he can't get words out. Maybe he, he is really having those sleepless nights. Next story I want to talk about is another California. Last week, I played you audio of the California board. Um, And there's another story that came out. And this one is close to home here in La Mesa, Spring Valley area. Uh, And it's a school board trustee who referred to plans to return to in-person learning as white supremacist ideology. Uh, and this was tweeted out by Reopen California Schools, tweeted about trustee and board vice president Sharja Belfontenot, uh, who said that Tuesday's virtual board meeting that plans on how and when to bring children back into the classroom for in-person learning seems like a very white supremacist ideology. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of it. So uh, it's about five minutes long. So if you want to hear the whole thing, it's kind of inflammatory through the entire thing. So here we go. They didn't even, uh, I don't even have my second dose. I've been delayed. I haven't, I still haven't received it. And I don't know which I'm going to receive it. So I'm just saying if teachers are. We have to give somebody, we have to give the teachers, we have to give the students, the parents a date. Of what at least. We don't have to, we don't have to give anybody any date. (laughs) We don't have to do anything that we don't want to do right now. That's what you don't understand. I don't know where you're getting our information of who's telling you that we have to make a decision today, but that is not how this works. We do not. I know that you're new to the school board. I'm not saying this is a slight to you, but we do not have to make a decision today. 70 to 80 percent of them have answered the survey. They want to come back to school. So this is what we're doing. Who are the 70 to 80 percent and where are they? I would like to know geographically from which school sites, which language group, and how we conducted this feedback. Where? Please give it to me before I can make a decision. I can't make one. I cannot make one. And I will not make one. You're welcome to abstain, I, I believe, right? There's no reason to be nasty with me, Ms. Riley. And we can present it for vote. And Charlie, if you wish to vote no, you are more than welcome to, or you can- I know what I'm welcome to do, you guys, I do. And I know that what we're doing is wrong. So how are we forcing people? That seems like a very white supremacist ideology to force people to comply with, you know, and conform, <laughs> just letting them privilege. Check it, you guys. I'm at. So I don't want to be a part of forcing anybody to do anything they don't want to do. That's what slavery is. I'm not going to be a part of it. 
like nobody even knows, none of you guys even know what we're talking about right now. This seems like a mess. We should not be voting on this tonight. <laughs> you guys don't have all the information that you need. You guys are just saying what you're speaking from your heart and that's fine. I, I take great offense to the, to the statement that no one on here knows what they're talking about right now. I, I don't believe that be the case at all. And um, I wasn't talking about you, David. I was talking about my fellow board members, especially the new ones. I'm not talking about me either. I'm talking about your fellow board members. I don't think well, that that's a fair statement. They can speak for themselves. If they have an issue with me, they can tell me, but you don't need to speak for them, David. I, I can speak for them if I choose to. And right no, now I choose not, to tell you that I think good. that's uh, offensive. Well, don't I, say that you can speak for others. That's not appropriate. Okay. So let's, let's, I, we're upset and I know this And is, it's disrespectful. Like this is the second time you've disrespected me, David. I think this should be a, that should be a private conversation between. No, it doesn't need to be private. None of this right. needs to be private. Racism doesn't need to be private, Becky. I don't, I don't need racism to be private. What I need to do is move this meeting along so that we can address the issue of if we're going to approve the school reopening plan um, and if we're or not, or if we're going to set a reopening date. And that's what we need to talk about. By, by what exactly? By what you just said, Mr. Superintendent. You were shocked and appalled that I said that I thought it was offensive that you said your colleagues don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, and then you said that you can speak for all of us. Okay. You don't speak for us. No, I, I wasn't. That's, that's not what not I was correct. saying. That's you not what I would say. That. No, okay. that's not what I said. Okay, so not what I said. we need to stay focused. Well, if our meetings were actually recorded for the public, we would know that. It's recorded. That actually, they are. Rebecca announces that at the beginning. Where are they? Where are they? They're not easily accessible. I can pull it up. I'll show you. It says in here, it says in accordance with board bylaw 9324. This Easily accessible. Um, I'm sure that you could ask Kathy to. Um, Does everybody have a Kathy? No, this is what we're talking about. And you guys know what I'm speaking about. So please stop trying to make me seem like I don't know what I'm talking about. And like I'm dumb. And I would like to say that I'm offended by the smirks on you guys' faces. I'm just confused. Honestly, I'm, I I don't understand why you're so upset. I I don't. That's why I'm, I'm upset. Very, I'm not upset. Not, you uh, may not you may not know me, um, but I'm not upset at all. Okay. At all. Okay. So that's just I'm just confused, and I know you keep throwing out the racism, but I am Hispanic, so um, I'm Hispanic, and I I have four adopted children. We look like the UN. So that's why when you say you're you're throwing out the racism, um, I, I don't I don't understand that part either. So I'm just confused. That's it. So a uh, lot to unpack there. I want to play the whole five minute thing because there, there are a lot of parts of it. I also posted the link for you. There's a whole thing on YouTube. You can go see it for yourself. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I'll paint the picture for you. Uh, this specific board uh, trustee, I can't remember. Bell Fontenot, I think it's Fontenot. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But anyway, uh, she was actually not on the video call. So it's like you're watching a Zoom call. She was actually, she was not one of the people pictured on the video call. So while everyone else was actually on the video call, she was, you could hear her voice, but she's actually not pictured. Uh, I guess her 
she's upset that they were the vote was to start a reopening plan here in La Mesa and she was not having it and she said that there shouldn't even be a vote about reopening schools at this time um, and she seemed to be very against it and the idea is this board of trustees the, the reason they had this meeting was to figure out whether they should reopen schools or not or they reopen their school and she was against it and instead of allowing the vote to go forward and that's what you heard one of the women say was well you can abstain from it i don't know why she got so offended at the idea that you can actually abstain from a vote that you don't have to vote one way or the other but either way there's other trustees who need to vote on something that's where it seems like she really kind of went off the rails um and she is trying it looks like she was just trying to hold it up and she based it on involuntary servitude and slavery and this was a white supremacist kind of ideology and white privilege and you should check your white privilege and this that and the other thing it, it went so far off the rails at that point and when if you watch the video you'll actually see people sit there and rub their head some people get frustrated some people were rolling their eyes some people were kind of like shaking their head i think maybe some people realize that they're in trouble because if this is recorded for the public to see, then they're going to be in trouble because it's gotten out. Um, it, it's just a crazy that she went to an idea of racism and white supremacy over a simple vote about whether they should plan on returning back to in-person classrooms. Um, I don't know if she's a teacher. I, I didn't see any of that information. I just know she's... Um, a board of trustee, but the fact that she kind of went off the rails at this and in insulted the entire board, uh, at least at this point, I think it's a little bit better than Oakley because the other board members looked like they were presenting themselves a little more professionally. Uh, and in this case, it was just one person who was saying the things as opposed to Oakley, who were the, there were a number of people on that board who were saying horrible things. So it is sad to hear these are the, the people who are making decisions about your, whether your children can go back to school or not. And they're hiding behind stuff like racism and white supremacy, which really has nothing to do with the plan to reopen schools. Uh, and I've said this before, and I'll say this a thousand times. This is why local elections matter. These are the people that you can elect, that you're putting on the board, that you're putting in your local school districts. These people make decisions that affect your lives and they affect your children's lives. And you have to think about this stuff and you have to be con considerate of who is running for this and who you're voting for. Um, so while people always worry about who president is, you have to worry about who the local people are as well, because then you get issues like this where someone's saying trying to reopen a school is a white supremacist idea. Uh, and also for uh, just for argument's sake, uh, that specific school district uh, is 49% Hispanic and 28% white. So it's not an overly white district. Um, it's actually a, uh, a majority minority district here in San Diego County. So I don't really understand where she's getting that idea that it's, it's white supremacy and racism in action. Uh, so I guess we'll see whether she resigns or not. There's already a petition with 2,700 signatures. Parents are obviously outraged and, uh, We'll follow up. If there's any news, we'll follow up on it. So the last story, I want to end on a little bit more of a lighter note, more than usual. I saw this story and I thought this has got to be one of the weirdest stories I've seen. Um, 
It's from the LA East. I guess that's a online magazine. Uh, title is A Totally Bananas Idea Planting Tropical Fruit Trees to Help Fight California Wildfires. Uh, so the idea, and I'll kind of sum it up for you because it's a long story, is the idea is that they would plant banana trees around communities to prevent the spread of wildfire. Uh, and this guy came up with an idea and he said, what I would envision all the way from literally the boundary of this house up to the ridge that's above us, I would have envisioned a banana orchard with a ground cover underneath it that was not flammable. Uh, we would have seen the fire come over the ridge. It would have come up to the edge of our banana planting and probably the first row of bananas would have been singed, but they wouldn't have caught fire because they don't catch fire easily. Uh, and this is the idea that if you've ever used banana leaves to cook, you know that they do not catch fire, that you can wrap a lot of things like fish and meat in it and put it on top of coals and they don't catch fire because they're very, very moist. And banana trees are very, very moist. So it's very hard for them to catch fire as opposed to dry grasses or shrubs that are more native to California. Uh, it's a novel idea. Uh, it's definitely something that I don't know if a lot of people have really considered. Uh, but we know that avocado groves also are very resistant to fire. Um, <laughs> so the idea is that he wants to try and use banana trees. Of course, there's one problem with that, which is that to get banana trees that are incredibly moist means you have to have a lot of water to a lot of these banana trees. And that's not easy to do here in California when they're already telling you, you can't water your lawn during certain times of the year. And it would only work in certain areas such as probably Southern California, because uh, it wouldn't work in any sort of central Valley or up in the mountains because banana trees need to live in some sort of tropical climate and they can't deal with frost. So that would be an issue. You can't use it everywhere. It'd be mostly a Southern California thing. Um, and he says he suggests that maybe using recycled water, but either way, it's certainly a different idea. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. Hey, people are thinking and, and people are thinking and they're trying to think outside the box. It sounds like it'd probably be harder to do and more expensive than you would. It, it would be worth it, and especially if the fact that you can't really you need a lot of water. You need a lot of water. You need to take care of these banana trees. And California is for a lack of a better term, people think all the palm trees and sitting by the beach and stuff like that. Southern California is actually a desert area. It's just, we brought in a lot of trees and palm trees and stuff like that to make it look green. But in reality, it's a very arid desert area. Um, this is very, not very tropical, not very moist. So I, I'm not sure how banana trees, but Hey, I, you know what? God bless the person for thinking that maybe bananas are the way to go. Uh, so with that, I'm going to end today's show. As always, tune in on Wednesday at 9 a.m. on Instagram at California Underground. Uh, if you don't follow me there, go to Cal California Underground at Instagram. Uh, every Wednesday, 9 a.m., Coffee in California Politics, uh, where we just sit, we chat, we talk about what's on people's minds. Uh, it's a it's just a live on Instagram. If you ever have any questions or things you'd like to talk about on the show, California Underground at protonmail.com. 
If you'd like to leave a voice message, such as like calling into the show, go to anchor.fm forward slash California underground. Uh, and as always, subscribe, like, review, do all that stuff, share it with friends, and I will see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 